0: Hey there, welcome to the Lord to Death podcast. My name's Brett, and today, before we start, I just wanna take a second to thank everyone who listens. Looking at the statistics for the episode so far, it looks like we have a nice little steady viewership in Germany, the Netherlands, the UK, and among other places, and I think that is just so cool. I really appreciate everyone who tunes in every week, and whether you're new or old, I really do appreciate you. So today, I wanna talk about why I think that Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic is objectively a perfect game and why I think it's so important to gaming as a whole. I want to get this out of the way that this game is in my top three favorite games of all time and might be my favorite game of all time so I might have a slight bias but with that being said I'm trying my best to write this without my nostalgia goggles on but my goal here is to persuade you so obviously I'm going to be singing praises to the game. One more thing that I wanna get out of the way before we start is the one thing that I cannot stand about this game, and that is the title. It's far too long for my squirrel brain, and so I'm gonna shorten it down to KOTOR when referring to the game's title. It's easier that way, so I'm not trying to Eminem rap god my way through saying Star Wars, Nice The Old Republic, so. This topic might seem a little out of the blue, and it's definitely different from my usual content. However, KOTOR just had its 20th anniversary about a week before recording or so, and so it's been on my mind, and I figured why not revisit this masterpiece, contemplate the passage of time, and lament how my childhood favorite game is now 20 years old. I think this episode is going to be a little less structured than normal, and I'm going to just start talking and try to make points along the way as to why I think that this is a perfect game. I'm going to start with some backstory on the game and the developer, because I think it's an important part of what makes this game so special. After that, I'll talk game mechanics and plot, which means that there are going to be major spoilers. While the game is 20 years old officially, I want to give fair warning that past this point, there are going to be plenty of spoilers. And if you haven't played the game, then go pick it up on Steam. It's like $10 Canadian. Play through it and then come back to this episode. It'll be worth it if you know what I'm talking about. I promise. KOTOR was developed by Bioware and published by LucasArts on July 15th, 2003 on the original Xbox and was later released on PC in November of the same year. I think it's important to mention that Bioware made it because if you know games, then you should be familiar with Bioware as the former RPG heavyweight champion with titles like Dragon Age, Mass Effect, and Baldur's Gate under their belt. I say former because their acquisition by EA was less than great for their titles in the long run. They still make decent games from time to time, but they do have that watered-down, give-me-your-lemonade-stand-money charm that comes with being an EA subsidiary. Baldur's Gate is also an honorable mention because it laid the foundation for the core gameplay of KOTOR. The engine-powering Baldur's Gate was based off of the Dungeons & Dragons 2nd edition, and was one of the first games to popularize the D&D formula in video game format, despite not being the first of its kind. KOTOR was running on a similar engine, being based on the Wizards of the Coast Star Wars role-playing game Rules, which uses the D20 system for pretty well everything, just like D&D. It was the first ever to use the system in a video game, as well as having several other firsts for video games, which made it so influential for other games today. And just a quick side note, there is actually a tabletop version of KOTOR. They did use, like, straight up just a rule set that exists. So if you want to turn D&D into a Star Wars campaign... All of these rules exist out there. It is so cool. KOTOR was also the first RPG set in the Star Wars universe, meaning that it had basically a fresh slate to work from, and being set almost 4,000 years before the events of the movies, it wasn't tied to any of the rules established by cinema. With the help of the D&D rules, they were able to establish a ton of new content for the Star Wars universe, including an extended lineup of Force abilities, both from the light side, dark side, and everything in between as well as expanding upon lightsaber stances and creating the class system for Force users with the Guardians, Consulars, and Sentinels. They also established rules for the light and dark side of the Force that weren't so clear in the movies, and introduced the first title of Grey Jedi with the team member Jolie Bindo. You could argue that Qui-Gon Jinn was the first Grey Jedi that we were introduced to, and I would mostly agree with you but Jolie Bindo was one of the first ones that we were introduced to that left the Order because of his views and renounced the Restrictive Jedi Code. Now, I know nowadays people don't really like the term Grey Jedi, and people think that it's a null and void term, but it is something that exists whether you want it to or not. At the very least, in the extended universe, maybe not necessarily in canon. And with all this talk about light and dark... KOTOR was also the first game I can find that made use of a morality system, which dictated what you were able to do or not depending on how light or dark you were, or good and evil. This system was determined by your actions in-game with things like dialogue options, whether you decide to save the poor authorian who was being bullied by humans, or to take it a step further and kill him on the spot in front of children. This morality system decides what force abilities you can use and can affect what armor you can equip and has major implications for the plot of the game and how you interact with the world depending on how good or evil your character is. It was this morality system that laid the groundwork for the morality system in Mass Effect, another Bioware title, and plenty of other games. Now, the system wasn't as robust as something from 2004's Fable, but it was something very similar, and I wouldn't be surprised if Fable was influenced by KOTOR in that regard, but both games were in development at roughly the same time, so I can't confirm or deny that. However, KOTOR was released one full year sooner than Fable was, so, eh, maybe it influenced something. Regardless if that is true or not, the implementation of such an intricate morality system was huge for gaming. It gave the feeling that you could be whoever you wanted, and it almost gave infinite replayability. I have personally played this game almost once a year since it came out, and have definitely played it multiple times a year on occasion, and I'm still finding some of the options that I'm given are surprising. (laughs) If you choose a different dialogue option, you could potentially open up another quest or influence the events of the game in a different way. Having over 300 speaking characters and over 15,000 lines of dialogue in the game There is a lot to experience, and I'm honestly finding something new every time I play the game. I think it's one of those games that has nigh-infinite replayability, and I think that's part of the reason why I think it's so great. When you have a game that's so heavily based on the decisions that your character makes, the dialogue has to be on another level, to make sure that you both have enough options so that you can make the right decision for who you decide your character was as a person, and that the dialogue options all make sense in the long run to the story. This typically took the form of having three main dialogue trees, good, bad, and neutral. Although not every option is what it seems, and it could have dire consequences on the plot or your relationship with other people in the game. The game really forced you to think about what your next move was because it didn't only influence you as a character, but the world around you. And the dialogue is both written and delivered incredibly by the voice actors. There are plenty of times where you're given a multitude of options, ranging from stoic to just downright ridiculous, and it's that range that makes a dialogue so believable to me. So many games feel like they lean so far to one side, like Saints Row being an insane, nonsensical experience, or early God of War games being so serious to the point of parody. All of my favorite games have something similar, though, where there's some sort of ridiculousness and the serious nature of everything to break it up and remind you that you're playing a game and that you're supposed to be having fun. One of my favorite lines in the game is when you finish at the Jedi Temple on Dantooine and you're left to explore the planet, in the planes you come across a group of people who are investigating a murder. Being part of the Jedi Order at this point in the game, they look to you as a mediator and pull you in to help solve the crime. There are witnesses to interrogate, a body to investigate, and some authority figures there to help you make sense of the case that you might need to make use of to solve it properly. When you get to the later stages of the quest, where you can start making accusations, you can accuse one of the suspects, and when asked why you think that person is making up their story as a cover-up, you can respond with, Fat people always lie. That is an actual dialogue choice in the game. It always cracks me up, and it's stuff like that that makes the game so great. Is this line of dialogue written like a masterpiece? No, but I think it's necessary to add an element of silliness to a very serious situation. Or, there's another one when you're on Terrace and you're trying to steal an advanced engine for your swoop bike from the Black Volkers. You find a server girl in their base who's clearly being held against her will. You can opt to save her, try to get some information out of her, or say the iconic line, Orders up, sister, before entering combat and murdering this poor woman. It's... So stupid, honestly, but it always makes me laugh. I will not choose that option because it's just cruel, but there are plenty of elements like this in the game that I think make it one of the better written games out there. There are just so many good lines of dialogue. And with great role-playing comes great combat, and KOTOR certainly had that. It's not for everyone, I'll admit, but it follows the same system that d and uses, and I think it works really well for what it is. Even if you're not into d and it makes sense as a game mechanic. That being said, it's a very interesting take on turn-based combat. On the outside, if you're not paying attention to the timing or flow of combat, you might think that it's all real-time because everyone's fighting all at once. You choose an ability, whether it be basic attack, special attack, force ability, or some sort of buff or healing, and then your character does that action simultaneously with everyone else in the encounter. But hidden behind the scenes is actually the same thing that you find in D&D, which is a round-based combat system. Each round takes roughly six seconds to complete, and each character has a limited number of actions that they can take, depending on their level, class, and buffs applied. If you pay really close attention to the combat, you can see that it's all actually turn-based while being disguised as real-time, which I think is pretty spiffy. Nowadays, it's not exactly uncommon for this to be a thing, but at the time it was a pretty unique system that I think worked perfectly for the game. And also set the stage for other games to use it down the line. I mentioned this before, but the game also offers a ton of skills, feats, and force powers to choose from, meaning that you can build your character literally however you want. This might be my favorite part of the game, and it's a major contributor to why I think it's a perfect game, or at least a perfect RPG. A lot of RPGs will try to shoehorn you into a skill tree or make you choose from a class, and it's really hard to break out of that shell. Like, if you choose a rogue but decide you want to be a tank, you're probably not getting there. While KOTOR does start you off with choosing your class and allocating your skill points, there is no point where I ever felt restricted by those choices that I made early on in the game. There are small things like if you choose Scoundrel as your beginning class, you'll gain certain stealth skills that'll get bonuses based on the fact that you chose Scoundrel. And there are similar feats for other classes respectively, but even if you choose a soldier as your starting class, you can still spec into stealth later if you want. And even though that class is great with melee weapons, you can still optimize later for using ranged weapons if you want. I will say that the only limiting factor in character creation in relation to the classes are the skills that come with them. Each class has certain skills like computer use, demolitions, or awareness that they become proficient in depending on the class that you choose. That means that it's easier to level up those skills... But it doesn't mean that you can't level up the other skills if you wanted to. It just means that it'll cost more skill points to level up those that you aren't proficient in. This can be limiting to a certain extent, but I don't think it's necessarily restrictive. The proficiency system provides enough of a drawback that you would definitely want to think twice before choosing your class, but it won't be something that you will regret along the way because you have teammates who can make up for your downsides. And your teammates and the party system is second to none, in my opinion. Once you've gotten all the eligible party members, there are nine other characters that you can choose to accompany you on your journey, and you can bring two of them with you at a time. All of them have a wide range of skills, and no matter what style you choose to play in, there will always be a great number of companions to complement your build. That being said, if you play like I do, then you might not care about optimization, and the game is happy to accommodate that for you. I tend to just bring my favorites along with me or cycle through different party members to get their personal quests done, and that has never been a problem with me in terms of difficulty. And that's another point that I think makes KOTOR stand out after all this time. Each party member has a totally unique quest that's associated with them, and there are various ways that you can approach them, just like the main quests in the game. Unlike the main quest, you can actually fail to complete these quests and you can totally ruin your party member's day. This will reflect poorly on you as their leader, and can cause the party member to be locked out of further meaningful conversation. I mean, if you allow someone's child to get murdered in a Sith Academy, would you really expect them to forgive you? The dialogue and quests that you get from your party members is so robust, and I'm always finding new ways to navigate through them. And this is, as a reminder, 20 years later. Depending on who you have in your party, there's also random banter that happens on occasion. If two party members don't get along that you have with you, they might stop you on your journey to take a minute to bicker and fight. While if two of your party members are close with each other and maybe friends, then they might decide to stop and talk about the scenery and maybe relate it to something they may have done together outside of the game. It's these little moments that make the game feel so alive. Everyone has such a distinct personality that's shown through these random, seemingly unrelated conversations, and it really shapes the world around them. After all this time, I don't know if I've played a game that did it quite like KOTOR. Except maybe the sequel. Your party members also have a wide array of weapons that they can use, and you can use all of these too if you decide to put your points in the right places. Every build is technically viable if you play your cards right, which is pretty special. In a game where you play as a Jedi, it might seem unconventional to choose to use a blaster over a lightsaber, but you have the option to, and I have personally seen people clear the game using only blasters. I've never done it, And I do know that it is a little harder to do, but it is 100% possible. It's pretty incredible the wide range of weapons and weapon modifications that you can use to make your dream character a reality. And along with that, there are a wide array of outfits to choose from. I'm a big fan of Fashion Souls when it comes to gaming, where I'll often choose a less than optimal set of gear for the sake of looks. And KOTOR doesn't really punish you for doing so, unless you choose to use just the base set of clothing, which has literally no stats. Like, that might make the game a bit harder, but I hardly think that's a bad thing. If you want to make the game harder for yourself, unequip your clothing and just start punching people. It'll be hard, but you could do it. And that's just the game mechanics which make this a beautiful game. We delved into the writing a little bit, and to expand on that, the overall plot and pacing is simply amazing. Starting your character out right in the middle of a space battle on the flagship the Endar Spire serves as an amazing tutorial to give you a taste of what you can do. After dropping from the Endar Spire, you start out on Terrace, a planet that has a physical dividing line between the upper and lower class, with the city right above the undercity. While you're in Upper Terrace, you roam the streets and mostly talk to people. It's a good chance to understand the state of the galaxy with the Sith occupation on the planet, and it really sets the stage for deciding what kind of person you want your character to be. There are plenty of encounters where you can choose to either fight or use words to get out of a tricky situation, and I think that is so important. The game doesn't often force you to deal with an encounter in one way, unless maybe you're being hunted by a bounty hunter, in which case there's really only one way out of that situation, and that's a little pew-pew to the noggin. But Upper Terrace allows you to see the extent of your abilities through stealth, cunning, or brute force as you see fit. There are several different ways to go through it, and I don't think there's one right answer. Once you choose how to navigate Upper Terrace, you gain access to the Undercity, which is crawling with gangs, poverty, and violence. It's a much darker tone than what you see in the city above, and it really lets you push the limit of your actions. You can fight your way through it all, but oftentimes there's a way to get through it diplomatically without having to shed blood. The game pushes you further and further to make sure that it teaches you everything that you need to know about navigating the rest of the game. There is a lot to do, and it can be daunting, but it's an amazing way to prepare you for the rest of the game. Terrace is really the only part of the game where you're limited in where you can go. Once you successfully get off the planet in the Ebon Hawk, go to Dantooine, and get acquainted with your new Jedi powers, you're free to go explore the five different planets that you need to go to in order to advance the plot. There is an optimal way to do these planets in order to make your life a little bit easier, but you can choose to do them however you want, and it doesn't really impact the difficulty too much. I think that's. Pretty amazing. Terrace is also a great way to set up the main villain, Darth Malak, a Sith Lord who's trying to take down the Republic. As you're leaving the planet, you escape just in the nick of time as Malak starts an orbital bombardment of Terrace in an attempt to kill any who escaped the space battle that was going on when we started the game, and specifically, the main character. It sets the stage for how ruthless he is and how far he'll go to attain his goals. Even with his own forces on the planet, he's willing to destroy Terrace and his own men for the sake of killing a handful of people that he deems a problem. And it's this, along with the rest of the game, that makes him one of the best villains of all time, in my opinion. And then there's the plot twist partway through the game that I still remember being one of the biggest, oh damn, moments in gaming. You start off as just a soldier, a Republic recruit on the Endar Spire who wakes up in the midst of an attack. You don't remember... Who you are, or how you got there, but your allies remind you that you're a part of the Republic, and that your duty is to protect and serve. You escape the Endar Spire just as it becomes a wreck and crash land on Terrace in an escape pod. Through Terrace, you realize that you're just a cut above a regular soldier, and other members of your party are very aware of it and they will mention it to you. Eventually, you find out that you're Force sensitive and travel to Dantooine to a secret Jedi temple. There, the Jedi Masters decide that they will take an unconventional route and teach you the ways of the Force since typically that happens when you're a child, but in this case, you're a fully grown adult. From there, you become a Jedi Knight. Along the way, you're given a backstory about the Mandalorian Wars and how two Jedi, Malak and Revan, disobeyed the Order to go serve and fight against the Mandalorian threat. They were exiled from the Order as a result, taking plenty of other Jedi from the Order along with them. You learn that during the war, something happened to these two that caused them to fall to the dark side. Both Revan and Malak took the title of Darth, and Revan began to lead the Sith. But as the rule of two states, an apprentice must one day defeat his master, and take the title of Sith Lord for themselves and take on an apprentice of their own. As a group of Jedi boarded Revan's ship, Malak turned on his master and started firing upon Revan's vessel. Revan was knocked out as a result, and that's all we really know. Later on, in a confrontation with Darth Malak, you learn that when Revan was knocked out, his body was confiscated by the Jedi boarding party that assailed his ship. They took them back to a temple, and the decision was made to wipe their memory and try to reprogram them as an agent of the light. And so, your character is born. Basically a sleeper agent, the Jedi Order made Revan forget who they were before and start life anew as a Republic soldier. I will still never get over that plot twist, and me describing it does not do it Any justice. But it still gives me goosebumps. And there are so many subtle nods in the game through conversation with others that allude to you being Darth Revan. And I think they do a great job at hiding it until that pivotal moment so that when it's revealed, you say, Oh, that's what they were talking about. And on the topic of the plot, I I love that the plot is self contained. Even the sequel doesn't follow the main cast of the first game, and instead we see someone that followed Revan in the Mandalorian Wars. Without KOTOR, we probably wouldn't have much information on The Mandalorians outside of, you know, Boba Fett. And I would even go as far as to say that we might not even have shows like The Mandalorian and The Book of Boba Fett today if it weren't for KOTOR. Along with that, it brought a fresh view of the galaxy that was able to expand upon so much lore that we wouldn't have found if it were set in, say, The Clone Wars. And the last point on the story, with your party members, you can actually romance all of them. Well, depending on which gender you choose. The romance portions are very cute, and they're not important to the overall story unless you decide to romance Bastila, really. But there are points in each romance that kind of come back towards the end of the game that make it really worth it to romance pretty well anyone. And I guess thinking about that statement now, I guess you can't romance everyone, but you can romance most. You know, excluding the droids and the child and Wookiee. But, anyways. On top of the amazing story and mechanics, the graphics were also cutting edge at the time, and I'm going to be the first person to say that even for an original Xbox game, it doesn't look as terrible as some of the other games at the time did. Especially the cinematic pre-rendered cutscenes that play throughout the game. Those are genuinely gorgeous and impressive when upscaled to HD, and I stand by that statement. While looks aren't everything, they definitely don't hurt the game at all. To kind of sum this up, I think that KOTOR should be seen as the golden standard when it comes to RPGs and games in general. The story is written amazingly, and there are so many various characters that you can either party with or encounter through the game that are just so interesting. The pacing of the game is perfect, with the tutorial not overstaying its welcome and allowing plenty of time with the game once you enter the open world. And the way the game plays is perfect for a D&D style game. It, it really does just feel like a DD and d campaign. There's also plenty of different ways to play the game without leaving the player feeling overwhelmed. I find that with a lot of these modern RPGs, the open world is open to almost a detrimental degree. There's just so much empty space to give a sense that the game is larger than life, which makes the game feel like a barren wasteland. As much as I really love Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom, aside from the couple of populated spots, the game is just so empty. There's a ton of side stuff to do, but it all feels meaningless. KOTOR also had some massive open areas, but they weren't unpopulated and there wasn't just nothing to do there. I think that KOTOR did a great job with making sure that the world feels alive, with plenty of meaningful interactions with NPCs, good quests, and a lack of dead space. It has a very special feeling that I don't think many games have quite captured since, and I think it's really worth noting. But I would love to hear what you think. Do you agree or do you think that there are glaring issues that I'm glossing over? Or what about your favorite game? I would love to hear your thoughts, and you can find us online at lord to death on your favorite social media and podcast websites. If you have a suggestion or you liked this style of episode, it is a little different, then please let me know. I can definitely do more of them. But remember, it doesn't matter what other people think. If you think that your favorite game is perfect, then your opinion is totally valid. Don't let other people invalidate how you feel, especially when it comes to things that make you happy. And until next time, ya.